0: Bye. Hello, thank you for choosing the Lackadaisical LibroCubicularist Podcast. Without further delay, here is your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello, welcome to the Liberal LibroCube. My name is Jordan Maywood and I am the Lackadaisical Gibberlist. Yeah, that's what I am. Something I like to say at the top of every show is that there will be no spoilers, folks, please. I don't say this spoiler warning for my own amusement, although I find it very amusing, so maybe I do. Another thing I like to say is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. Oh, no, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you rate, subscribe, and comment within iTunes. Is that is what helps the podcast grow and flourish and become a thing. A thing, I say. Our last piece of podcast-related business is of course, today's sponsor on this Book-Bow-Wednesday episode, I should mention. Oh, you know what I always like to say about my Book-Bow-Wednesday episodes? And that is, when you tell your friends about this, and I know you will, you're really going to want to hit those B's, both in Book and Bow-Wednesday. Anyways, back to our sponsor. I don't want to forget them. Today, it is... Room 237, Crime Scene Cleanup Crew, Incorporated. Once again, today's sponsor is Room 237, Crime Scene Cleanup, Incorporated. Thank you to them very, very much appreciated for your sponsorship today. Speaking of today, good segue there, Jordan. Uh, doing something different that I don't believe I've ever done before, but I believe, huh, much belief going around, that it makes a logical sort of sense, and that is recording my opening. However, that's all I'm recording right now—just the opening. I'm gonna record the actual episode tomorrow. This makes sense for several behind-the-scenes. Behind the Scenes of Reasons, which I'm going to go into right now. Today, despite being Book Wednesday in the actual, factual, real, existing... Mm, No, scratch that. Despite being Book Wednesday in the LibroCube, in the actual, factual, real, existing universe, it's Monday. Sadness. A Monday sadness. Uh, On my drive into work... This morning, I recorded a TV Tuesday episode on Monday morning. I'm a madman. Uh, you know what? That kind of makes sense, because the TV Tuesday episode I recorded had to do with Doctor Who. Doctor Who, who, messes, who, who, messes with the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey bits as I do within the Libra Cube, such as doing things like recording TV Tuesdays on Monday mornings, or recording openings Four Book Wednesdays on Monday afternoons. It's just all messed up. It's hard to keep track of, to be 100% honest. Amish. If I'm going to be 100% Amish with you, probably wouldn't be recording a podcast, first off. Not too many Amish podcasts, I, I have to imagine. Honest, like Abe. Uh, sometimes I kind of have trouble keeping track of what the actual day is with the day in the Libra Cube. I think the the whole main thing is the theme, and I don't usually post. I don't usually pay attention to things other than the what the theme of the day is. Like I might post a movie Monday on a Tuesday because I recorded it on Monday but post it on a Tuesday. It's all messed up and fucked up and very very Amish. No, that's incorrect, but it doesn't make sense, and neither does. What a lot I am saying makes sense, I believe. I believe. Okay, so, yeah, the other reason being that because it is winter, the winter season is upon upon us, beware, it means uh, it's dark on my drive home. So, much, much more easier to see my notes on my drive-in tomorrow morning. Whereas right now, I haven't read a single note. In fact, I did a little bit of a boo-boo and left my notepad at work. So, I'm going to have to get home tonight and write out my notes for The Shining for tomorrow's drive-in, which I've never done that before either. Folks, that will conclude my behind-the-scenes action that I like to throw out, just so you can see some of the processes involved in podcasting. That will also conclude this opening. It will also conclude this recording. Hmm, Lots of conclusions with the exception of I'm going to talk much more in, for you it will be moments from now, for me it's going to be in quite a few hours Uh, I think the only final thing to say is that uh, I'm just going to kind of push this button here that says transition and then there's going to be you know what, there's going to be a little transition (laughs) and then we'll move right into the, uh, the book Wednesday so hey, there you go there we go, there it goes together Let the transitioning happen right now. Transition. Um, hello, yes, what? Okay, well, this is an odd experience in that normally at this point in my drive I'm saying things like, hello, well, I suppose I did say that, and thank you for coming, and uh, I'm George Maywood, and things of that nature, but no, I'm just going to talk, jump right in which is a new and exciting experience for me. I'm going to talk about The Shining hmm, by Stephen King, no less. The reason I decided to read this book was because, uh, if you listened to a couple of Moving Monday episodes ago, the missus and I watched the film, of which I do believe I gave a 5 out of 5. The other, probably even more reason is that Stephen King just recently released a sequel to this book called Dr. Sleep which I am currently in the process of reading as of you know yesterday so that's pretty cool too and I wanted to uh, revisit The Shining well that's another little note there I thought I had already read this book Um, I had not (laughs) yeah I, I can definitely guarantee vouch now for the fact that I have never read The Shining before, which I thought I did. I know I have I had a copy of it and everything, and it was all sort of beat up looking cuz I quite often haven't done it in recent years, bought books at library book sales, and sometimes they're a little beat up. Anyways, enough about why we're doing it. Let's talk about why we're doing it. No, let's talk about how, no, how's the podcast? Let's just fucking do it. How about that? Once again, we are with the Torrance family. Mr. Jack Torrance, Struggling with Alcoholism, which uh, this book focuses quite, quite heavily on that aspect of his personality and how it's sort of constantly haunting him. That, uh, combined with his temper, he's always got a temper, but when he drinks, it is sort of tenfold, causes him to lose his job at a school that he's working at. He hasn't been able to write, again, because of booze. And he's just sort of falling apart. Everything is a struggle in his life. And he really needs to pull shit together. So, the way he figures he's going to go about doing this, his sort of last chance at redemption, is to take this job at the Overlook Hotel. A job as a caretaker during the winter months when they close up shop because the roads are impassable. Impassable! He takes his wife and his son, his wife Wendy, his son, and Danny, and they head on up. Danny is a very, very special boy with some very special abilities. He has, as they say um, in this book and the movie, The Shining. The Shining is sort of a telepathic ability uh sometimes clairvoyance he's able to sort of pick up on things very very quickly despite the fact that he is only seven years old he's a smart little whipper this kid I tells you something uh, different about this from the movie and there is a lot of differences i will just say on that note is that uh, once they get to the hotel in the movie that's sort of it they're at the hotel here though because they get there before the sort of winter storms hit in full They're able to go into town periodically, which was not in the movie. So uh, they did things like go to the library. The reason they went to the library is because Jack Torrance found a whole bunch of uh, newspaper clippings and a sort of bound copy of a scrapbook in the basement that hinted at and outright said that this hotel had a sort of checkered past. So he wanted to go to the library and do a little research, because this is, I should say, pre-Google days. This is in the 70s, I do believe it is. 60s, 70s? Whatever. Uh, Another reason is, another reason for a trip into town is because Danny has one of his, um, what they do believe to be a seizure. It's more like he's just talking to part of his brain that is clairvoyant. That's how kind of I was looking at it, part of his brain. He calls Tony. Uh, And it kind of, on the outside, looks like he's just frozen, sort of seizure-y, I suppose. So they take him to a doctor. A doctor who points out that all this sort of apparent clairvoyance is just because he's sort of off the charts IQ-wise and is able to deduct and reason and notice things other people do not. That, however, is not the case. He does have this ability. This ability that, when it sort of interacts with this checkered past of this hotel, is um, not a good interaction. It is, in fact, a corrosive explosive and other-if one, as Dick Halloran who also has The Shining, who has been working at the Overlook for the past couple of summers, sort of explains to Danny that because he has The Shining, he will occasionally see things that others won't. And because The Overlook has had much death and sadness and anger and negative things going on, some of this could react with his ability. Very interesting idea, actually. And it's much, much more emphasized in this, as opposed to the movie, that Danny is kind of sort of kind of sort of the reason that bad shit starts to go down. Uh, at first, it's going down with the thought, seemingly, of trying to get Danny to to get him to join us, join us. However, he's too strong, so they move on to Jack Torrance, who, because of his alcoholism, has a sort of, and temper has a weak spot that these malevolent spirits, let's say, uh, can attack him through that. Some of the shit going down is, I think, even, I was going to say for the most part, but no, I think for the whole part is totally different from what happened in the movie. Like, um, for example, there's no hedge maze, however, there is a topiary garden. Uh, topiary garden is where the Bushes look like animals. Uh They play a fairly significant role in quite a few scenes where they come alive. Uh, Interesting. And they are not happy bushes. As far as bushes go, these are probably the meanest bushes I've ever encountered in fiction. There's also uh, wasps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wasps are bad regardless if they're ghost wasps or not, as far as I'm concerned. One of the scariest Furby scenes was sort of inexplicable, and it's just Danny and a sort of coiled up fire hose, and nothing really happens in that scene, but for some reason it stuck with me, so yeah. When and if, and I hope you read this, just remember the fire hose scene, and it really ugh, gave me gave me the chills and the spills for some reason. Uh, one thing they do keep with, and I think this is perhaps the only keep in sort of line with the movie is room 237 and the lady in the bathtub uh, won't give too much away other than that and to say perhaps you don't want to have sex with this bathtub lady Mm. there's a basement in this which is not too much visited or at all visited really in the movie and the basement is kind of where the change over jack Torrance seems to happen the most like he spends more and more time in the basement and sort of loses track of time and this is where his sort of slow descent into into, mad- <laughs> into madness seems to really kind of take hold the the other uh, probably scariest i think scene too is when uh, danny's out in the snow because eventually they are snowbound like in the movie, and he's playing in a playground there, a playground that he's sort of been avoiding for reasons that it gave him the creeps, but he didn't know why. He eventually made his way into it and ended up sort of in a, a snow-covered playground, sort of, uh, I don't know if it's underground per se or just covered in snow. It was, I think that's what it was. Anyways, he's in there and sort of, it's these very, very subtle things that I think do it to me, like a friggin' hose or a rustling a malevolent rustling underneath this playground. Ugh, yeah. This is one of the scariest books I've ever read, and uh, I just want to say on that note, like, I had some nights where I'm like, oh, man, I, I don't want to read anymore, and I had to put it down, so I don't think that's ever really happened to me before. Doctor Sleep does not seem to be following that same super, super scary line so far. Not that I don't like it, it's just not as scary. Okay, so let's move on to Jack Torrance's Descent, Uh, It's a slow descent at first until eventually his anger has sort of pent up. His uh, lust for booze has reached its maximum to the point where the ghosts, and let's just call them ghosts for lack of a better word, um, sort of offer him booze in order to do their bidding. And he, at this point, will do anything for a drop of booze. So this is sort of in line for the most part with the scenes from the movie in the ballroom where there's sort of a giant party going on. He uh, interacts with people at this party similarly to to in the movie. Uh, More so, though, because that's what you're going to get in the book, right? You're going to get similar things to what happens in the movie, but much, much, much more detail. And it's the detail that I think that makes the book better than the movie, which uh, perhaps I should, on that note, say five out of five which is kind of strange because I gave the movie 5 out of 5. But, that being said, I think a book 5 out of 5 is somehow in my brain worth more than a movie 5 out of 5. And I don't think I'm alone in that fact. Folks, hey, how about, in an effort to get a little audience participation as I like to do, what do you feel on that subject? Book rating? versus movie rating which carries more weight for you would love to hear from you you can tweet at me to jordan underscore maywood or perhaps send me an email to the address provided in the closing credits would love to hear from you despite the fact that there is no booze within the overlook hotel he manages to get drunk um ghost drunk Ooh, you know what sometimes it hits me um, the sort of title of episodes, and I think the title of this episode might be Ghost Drunk. Maybe Ghost Booze? Yeah, I like the word booze, because it's got a B and a Z, and that's always fun. Ghost Booze. Yeah, yeah. Okay, title! Uh, it's after this Ghost Booze binge. <laughs> Wait, maybe that's the title. Ghost Booze binge. That he has this first sort of explosion of anger to the degree where Wendy is now terrified. She's been a little worried and thought things were brewing, and uh, Danny as well has been sort of hinting at the change in his father's mind, because kind of by this point, Wendy's starting to believe that Danny is not 100% quote-unquote normal and has certain abilities, like the ability to tell her what's going on with her father and sort of where he is and what he's thinking. So, it's after this first post-drunken explosion... That uh, they have a bit of a tussle and Jack gets um, locked up in the cupboard, in the in the pantry. Which, in line with the movie. Uh, it's also around this point that Danny uses his ability to call Dick Halloran. Dick Halloran, who you may recall from the movie, played by Scatman Crothers. Uh, it's funny in that regard. Uh, you know what? It's, now that I'm, I'm just about to say this, I've realized that uh, after watching the movie, usually when you read the book, you picture the people from the movie in the roles in the book, sort of in your brain, right? Uh, I didn't really do that with Wendy and Jack and Danny, uh, I kind of had a different picture in my head, but with Dick Halloran, I had the picture of Scatman Carruthers in my brain the entire time, so I wonder why that is. Huh. Anyways, that's weird, I think. He gets a call, a mentally shouted call while in Florida where he spends his winters and comes a running because he feels bad for the fact that he sort of had the the potential thought, the thought of potential even, that uh, Danny and this hotel would not mix well. So he feels bad for leaving him up there. So starts his journey from Florida to Colorado. Uh, We spend in this book quite a bit more time with Dick Halloran. Well, way, way, way more time than in the movie, which I liked. He was a very interesting character to sort of follow around and get into his brain. Along the way, Dick Halloran runs into quite a, quite a handful of fellow shiners, not to the degree that perhaps he and Danny are, but people who kind of, uh, almost fate, put them in his path to help him on his way, because it was a tough journey. Uh, he gets there, and Jack... Uh, severely beats the shit out of him. Yeah. In this, rather than an axe, Jack has a, uh, roque mallet. R-O-Q-U-E. Uh, it sounds to me a lot like the game of, uh, cricket. Yeah, that's how it was explained in the book. Cricket, but older, a little more complicated, and slightly different than cricket. So, no axe, but this is his weapon of choice, which is, I should say, less deadly, because Dick Halloran doesn't die. Yeah, by the end of this book, he's not dead. That was something I said in the movie review, that he has the quickest and most failed rescued attempt in history, where he shows up and then is immediately axed to death. Here, no, he is beaten pretty badly, broken jaw and other things. So is Wendy, actually, as well. So Jack, despite being super super pissed and having this mallet to beat the shit out of people never follows through on the actual murder of anyone yeah not very good psychopath uh wendy and dick are sort of out of commission for the most part unconscious unable to move they find one another and realize that jack is with danny sort of chasing him around the hotel those weren't sort of for me, scary scenes, but definitely kind of sweaty hand scenes. You know his insan- his insanity has sort of fully taken over, and Danny's even saying to the point now that you're not my father, you're the hotel in my father's body. He doesn't say it quite like that, but uh, you get the gist. Finally, Danny cornered Jack about to pummel his head in with this roke mallet. Rock mallet? Roke mallet. I think it's roke. Anyways, uh, Danny says the something along the lines of, you're not my father, the hotel is not going to give you what you want. It lies. It lies. This snaps Jack out of his insanity momentarily, enough to say, Danny, I love you, get out of here. Jack then beats his own head in with this mallet. Not enough to kill him, but enough to sort of maybe kill the part of him that is Jack. Yeah, that's kind of a way to look at it. He then heads back after Danny, and Danny says, What about the boiler? The boiler? It's going to explode. He's had one of his sort of shining premonitions at this point, because the boiler of the Overlook, and this is touched on sort of a couple of times throughout, so really sort of emphasized for the point of having this final scene, and that is that the boiler, she creeps. (laughs) She creeps. (laughs) And by that I mean the pressure sort of builds in this boiler, and there's no automatic release. So two, three times a day, Jack, as his, in his role as caretaker, would have to go and release some of the pressure. And if he didn't, it would explode. Totally explode. So the ghost uh, of the hotel, or spirit, whatever you want to call it, realizes and can sort of sense this is about to happen, so drops his rope mallet and heads on down to the basement. Danny reunites with Dick Halloran and his mother, and they all sort of help each other out towards the exit, because they know what's going to happen. And what does happen is, well, the hotel explodes in a giant, fiery ball. Yeah, (laughs) the explosion of the boiler causes the furnace to explode, so that way gas is just sort of leaking out in a giant flame that eventually consumes all of the hotel and this is keep in mind in the middle of nowhere where fire trucks cannot get to not even barring the fact that no one would know it was on fire i suppose because it's nighttime and they couldn't see the smoke jack was right beside the boiler as this happened so he did not make it dick and wendy and danny almost didn't make it they were sort of Exiting the front door of the hotel and were thrown forward into snowdrifts. So there you go the End folks, I did it I had to speed a little bit just for the reason that I wanted to get it done before I got to work But we're gonna mark that down as a win a mission accomplished if you will I've got one sort of final note here, and it's just some of the things that were not In this book that were in the movie. I thought it would be a cool little wrap-up here. For example, all work and no play make Jack a dull boy. Not in the book. Yeah, an elevator full of blood. Not in the book. They did have scenes involving the elevator. It was sort of a creaky thing. Wendy was pretty terrified of it. I think in the movie it was scarier because you know, an elevator full of blood. That's pretty scary. And here it was full of like a confetti and a party hat and a party popper and like that, that kind of thing. That's not exactly scary. The fact that it's there is weird. No axe. I mentioned that. No, here's Johnny. Yeah. See some of these very, very famous things from the movie. Not in the book. So that's kind of interesting. No hedge maze. Yeah. Uh, That's one thing that I kind of The way in which Danny went about, for lack of a better word, killing his father in the movie, uh, I think is better than the way in which he went about doing it here, where here he just said, The Boiler. There he was sort of cool and thoughtful about it and tricky and sneaky. I don't know. Interesting, right? And uh, lastly, and I think probably most importantly, especially in terms of the second book, is the fact that uh, Dick Halloran didn't die. And he's in the second book, uh, at least at the beginning, a fair chunk. So there you go. Folks, that will leave one final thing to say, which is, of course, oh boy, it is nice